the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024, these are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Megaran released his debut record, The Call, in 2006. At the time, he was known as Random, and the album was Conscious Hip Hop. In no time, he accessed a different side of himself, and that was his love for video games. He started putting out music that sampled video games, and he would rap about video games, most notably Mega Man. He then connected with the bubbling nerdcore hip hop scene and became a prominent figure. He's released a ton of records about a variety of topics. Earlier this year, he released an excellent kids' album called Buddy's Magic Toy Box, which has a ska song on it called Recess. Stack Like Pancakes and Jer are featured on the track. A lot of these guests we know and we have some sort of history with, I had to remind Megaran that we've met before. Yeah. I made sure to let him know in a former life, we played about four or five shows with him as Narboots. Definitely a different experience being on this podcast than being at an Arboots show. Yeah. So I don't know if you were uh, really setting him up for success by prefacing our interview that we were the Narboots guys. I think it helped. I mean, I feel like it sets you a little bit at ease if you if you have some sort of history with the guys. You're like, oh yeah, those guys that were insane and <laughs> made everyone uncomfortable. That's who I'm doing a <laughs> podcast episode with. Hey, but we have a much different vibe here on the mics. Uh, I think a good place to start would be your um, your shirt that you got. The ska and pro wrestling are the only legitimate forms of art. <laughs> this is a this is a meme that has traveled the world, uh, and I'm curious how it came how it came into your periphery. Man, it just so happened to to work out where you know I'm a I'm a big fan of ska and pro wrestling, and a good friend of mine makes really funny meme T-shirts that. Uh, in in music and wrestling worlds that kind of tend to go viral once in a while. And um, he put up the t-shirt and I said, yeah, this is it. This is my life. I need to get it. And he kind (laughs) of texted us in the group chat, like, Hey, new t-shirt up, you know? And I was like, yoink, got it immediately. And um, also on a personal note, I had just lost some weight. So I was like, you know, I'm in, I'm in the market for new t-shirts, you know, I'm down to a two X from a three X. 
So a lot of my OTs are just really backy on me. So anytime now that I'm, I can find a good tee uh, in my new size, I got to grab it. And, you know, yeah. my excuse is always, well, I need new shirts, so I got to do it, you know. <laughs> And uh, and I was really hoping it would make it before I went on tour. And it got there, I think, maybe the day I was leaving for tour. It got to my house. So I like ripped it out of the package. And I think I put it on that same day. So when I first took the photo wearing it, I was at like a weird rest stop somewhere between Arizona and California. <laughs> um, Dateland, actually. I, I don't know why I actually remember exactly where I was. But I was at a Dateland where you, you get like date shakes and things. Yeah. And, uh, it's a really cool stop. Oh, I've had I've had uh, a date shake there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool stop. It's like they're pretty good. It's one of the common ones if you're a bit of a touring musician. Like you, you will hit it between Arizona and California, and um, yeah, it's and it's actually pretty good. So I don't know. I, I it was a particularly nice day. Gra- uh, weather was well, you know, pretty sunny, but not too much. And uh, I looked in the mirror and I said, "Hey, this shirt looks pretty good on me." I need to spread the word. And I'm always willing to spread the word of new new friends, t-shirts and things. So so I was like, I gotta take this picture. And then I did, and it just kind of kind of like blew up. And I was like, oh man, like, isn't this like an old meme that like this wasn't like made up today? Like, I'm just like, it's very interesting that how is I don't know, and you guys run a Scott podcast, so maybe you can answer this. How is it that everyone has a, has great opinions, great great memories, great feelings about ska, but yet ska is at the same time underrated and quote unquote dead and, and things like that. Like how does that, how do these both exist at the same time? Well, to me, it seems like a lot of people do not have great opinions about ska. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I know does. I mean, maybe I'm just yeah. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of coming back around. Like I feel like people are, there was a period of time where it was like cool to bang on ska and mm everyone really focused on the most embarrassing aspects of it. But now I think people are kind of like, Oh yeah, that was, you know, I went to some ska shows. It was really fun or, yeah. you know, or that music's not bad. Like it's I, I do bad. feel like there's a, there's a change happening. I think so. I, I really feel like it's one of those things. Like I'm a big video game collector and it kind of works the same way with games. These games that were terrible at the time become collector's items and become revered over time where you're like, you know what? That was a simpler time. And sometimes it's just a reminder of our youth and fun times and then it becomes okay or so just making sure like this this fringe ska fandom that I, I tend to run into this isn't like ironic is it like there aren't people who are just being like yeah sure i love ska you know but just like all the while being super ironic about it like you don't think that's the case Steve? <laughs> i don't think so have you ever have you come across that adam i think there's there is a pipeline there of people who ironically are like yeah ska and then you know and then they you know put it on and then like actually this this is the shit and then it becomes serious <laughs> i gotta thank mc lars for my uh my real uh, introduction to ska and he really made me go back you know we would do a bunch of tours together and he would talk about real big fish and uh mighty mighty boss tones and aquabats i was already familiar with and he had done so many collaborations with a lot of bands and it it really made me dig to find them like whenever a person was driving on the road you know they they controlled the radio and so a lot of times he'd play a ska playlist and i'm like yo i I love this i heard this before i like it a lot what where who's this you know so i started making notes and jotting things down 
And um, so, yeah, I really got to thank MC Lars for that. Like, And he was the first person I seen really putting um, putting hip hop and ska together. And uh, and it worked. Do you prefer on tour to be the one driving or do you prefer to be the one setting shotgun DJing? Mm, um, gosh, I don't know. I don't really have a preference. I'll do either. Yeah. I feel like um, I'm one of those guys who weirdly takes mental notes of who's taking a turn driving and who hasn't. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, now it's your turn. Like you can't keep, you know, we can't keep skipping you. Like get on that, get on that wheel, you know? <laughs> but um, I like night drives where I can kind of focus zone out. I'll play some cool music. One of my favorite things to play is probably the, um, the Daft Punk Tron soundtrack and just, mm. just zoning out on a, on a dark road. And um yeah, I get so many of my ideas for songs and just, uh, you know, creative ideas while I'm just on the open road. So I actually prefer to drive. I like those late night overdrives a lot. Yeah, those late night drives when when I feel like there's less sensory input when you're driving. You just get the like reflectors on the road mm-hmm. and everything's dark. And it's just like whatever's illuminated by your headlights. Yeah, that's really that's a really good point. It's like you have less to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, there's less cars on the road, less less defensive driving maybe needed. So you're able to kind of focus on other things. So the music will play and um or even sometimes I'll play I'll go in silence or with a wrestling podcast and uh and then my mind's just going with ideas, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really do prefer the drive. Um the you know, I think that the passenger has the most like responsibility and, and, sure. and like stress, you know, cause it's like, you got to keep the driver awake for the most part. Like if yeah. I'm, I don't get in the passenger seat unless I'm ready to be a good passenger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get mad when the person sitting shotgun falls asleep. Yeah. Like that's, that's like totally against the rules, like road rule violation. Like yeah. you should not be falling asleep, you know? So I, I take that very seriously. It's like, you got to keep that person entertained, you know, tell them jokes, you know, just <laughs> stay awake with them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the person that sold you the uh, Scum Pro Wrestling shirt, um, could you say who they are? Because we follow each other on social media, mm-hmm. and I see all their memes. You and do. I actually don't know their real name because they, they always use weird names, like <laughs> James Vanderbeek or something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know if he actually uses his real name in on the internet. So. He's known as James Vanderbeek, J-A-I-M-S. Okay, so James Vanderbeek is the unofficial official name. That's the unofficial <laughs> official name. Um, he runs a, a really cool, um, um, like a, a t-shirt site that's, um, what is it? It's pentagonzo.com. So I got to make sure to shout him out. It's a public site with all of his original creations. Uh, he's done a lot of really cool stuff. Um I, I tend to buy one of these every couple of months. They're just so hilarious. Uh, so you can go there now and see. He's got CM Punk was right. He's got uh, Ron and Fez in the Money Night Raw thing. He's got Tupac Amora. He's got all these different wrestling, um, pop culture uh, mashups that are really, really good. He has a WWF in the style of MTV, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of really, really great uh, ideas that, that cross up all the things that I love in my, you know, my life. It's usually wrestling. It's music from the nineties. It's uh, Charlie Brown. It's, you know, just several cartoons, really, really fun stuff. So, um, and there's new stuff popping up all the time. So um, 
and Sky and Professional Wrestling is $16 right now. <laughs> oh, he's got a whole Sky section. I just realized he has a whole Sky section right now. Sorry, I'm reading this while talking to you. No, that's awesome. The Mighty Mighty Bossman, which is a crossover of the big boss man <laughs> wrestler <laughs> and the boss told. Uh, less than Jake the Snake is another good one. <laughs> uh, and Real Big Fish, which is literally just a bunch of wrestlers with trombones in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I might have to get all these. <laughs> so shout out to Beak. We call him Uncle Beak uh, for short. Like I said, I've, I've never seen his like real name on the internet, so I don't know if I should share that. But yeah. uh, but shout out to Beak. Yeah, so the the person who came up with Scon Pro Wrestling on the only legitimate forms of art was just like a random person I know on Twitter who just like made their own hat and uh they wore it to a show and took a photo and it like the photo went kind of viral yeah and um so these like sort of these sites that pop up that sort of just steal things and mm-hmm. sell you know duplicates hats and shirts of them they started popping up with these oh yeah oh yeah once you it's so crazy like there's bots set up where if you just say i need that on a shirt like you'll instantly get <laughs> replies of people like with bootleg sites that literally have it on shirt. But Uncle Beak is the only person that the the, the person who created the Scon Wrestling, the only person that they said is officially licensed to use it. What? Oh wow, good. We're not over here shouting out bootleggers. Great. No, I just <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because people. So glad you said that. <laughs> people ask me sometimes, like, where do you get that? And and the only real the only place that's authorized by the creator of this this uh meme if you will is is uncle beak yeah that's amazing i, I love that we're in a co- we're in a culture and a point in culture now where you know something a tweet can blow up and become a part of pop culture and that that tweet yeah. creator then has to kind of clear it with everyone else or at least should because it you know we want to support you know the people who are legit so i appreciate that i think i've read a long time ago there was a um um lizzo i think had a lawsuit one of many but this one was about um i just took a dna test and i just found out i'm 100 that whatever apparently was a tweet or an instagram caption and um she put it in a song and then the person who came up with it like came after her like i'm suing you <laughs> you can't put that in the song so it makes me think like, man, if I, if Weird. I say in a song, Sky and pro wrestling are the only legitimate forms of art, like I don't want to get sued. So <laughs> you got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> what, why do we know what the, the outcome of that lawsuit was? Um, probably settled out of court, like everything else. Um, you know, break her off this a little bit. Yeah. It's like, all right, here's a few hundred bucks now. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do a little sidebar real quick about, about shirts? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a musician. You, you print up merch. I have a lot of qualms with the way people print merch these days. And I don't know how, where you land on this, but like what brand of shirts are you printing your stuff on? Oh man, this is a bit of inside baseball here, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I do think consumers now are a lot more aware of this. Like I've had fans be like, Oh, Gildan, no thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I've definitely seen it happen. Um, so, all right, this is what I do. And there's, there's a couple different things. Um, if I can afford it, I make sure to get 
a soft style t-shirt at all costs. Yeah. Like that is my plan always because the cheaper you go with these shirts, the worse they, they are. They do not last. They're, they're one or two washes and they're just falling apart. And that doesn't help anybody. Like the nope. point is a t-shirt is like a billboard that you could yeah. sell to a person. Like they literally buy a billboard from you. And so they won't advertise you if it's peeling, cracking, falling apart. So it doesn't help anybody. Um, so you might get that 20 bucks right then and there, but now you've lost, kind of lost that they're a little bit of their trust. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to go with a soft style, something that feels good. And, um, and that's what I do. Uh, the American apparel soft styles are excellent. Um, I have ordered and used, you know, Gildan in the past and I'll try my best not to, but Gildan soft style is not bad, but, um, I have started to use a site called uh gosh what the heck is it now um uh what do they call cotton bureau i don't know if you guys have heard of them Mm-mm. cotton bureau is another one of those like instant t-shirt people where it's like you can get the shirt you know you get a made to order yeah. so the moment you pay for it is when they get printed so i don't have to print 400 of these that people may not buy Right. Um, but they print on such a great quality tee that it's the best shirt I've ever seen. Um, it is next level. That's what it is. It's next level. Yeah. And um, it's like a, a, a vintage black on the black. Even the black tees are kind of not not pitch black, but they're like a vintage black. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you know what I mean, and they're like really, really good quality and they, they stand out. And um, so what I did, the problem is with these it's like 30 bucks a shirt and they don't let you get any sort of uh, lower price uh, deal. No price breaks, nothing like that. So I buy one for myself and then hopefully that will advertise for people to go to the website and buy more. So I don't, I don't tend to have these designs at shows, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but if people see it and they like it, hopefully they'll go pick it up somewhere. Nice. But yeah, Gildan, I try to say no to if, 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 if at all possible. But, you know, in the past, I've, I've cut corners in the past. And, um, you know, if you're ordering 400 tees for a big tour, mm-hmm. sometimes you just, you just got to get the cheapest thing out there, you know? Yeah. But uh, I try my best not to. Yeah, you're right, though, about, about paying that price, though, of, uh, you know, if you, if you sell somebody a shirt and they don't want to wear it, like, yeah, you get the 20 bucks right then, but then you lose out on them walking around, you know with yeah like once it's once it's beat up and it's in crappy condition they're not going to wear it anymore nope uh, especially if it's the second or third wear like nah maybe yeah. if it's a 20 year old shirt or like you're saying too like sometimes the ones that are just an awkward fit like that sort of mm-hmm. they don't curve to your body like i just don't i i don't i don't want to wear them like if they're not comfortable no i totally agree <laughs> Yeah, that, that always bums me out. I, I see a good shirt. Like, I really like the design. I like how it looks. And then I put it on. It's like, oh, this isn't really, this doesn't really feel good. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. like, go out of my way to wear this. Yeah, for real. It's got to feel good. And so I've sent a few of them. Just We were starting, like, a, a clothing line, so to speak, where uh, called Bits and Rhymes. So we were just basically doing a bunch of video game, um, hip-hop mashups, T-shirts. And um, to get the word out. The designer was like, well, let's just send them to all your famous friends. And I was like, well, that's going to get expensive. <laughs> and uh, and we're like, okay. So basically all of my peers, anyone that I've done music with or, or wrestlers that I like, I sent them t-shirts. And so many of them responded like, dude, this is the most comfortable t-shirt I've ever felt in my life. 
And nice. so when I hear that, I'm like, all right, then I know it's worth it. So granted, it's a $32 tea, but it feels really good. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Okay, so let's talk about your song, Recess. I assume that's why I'm here. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) See your credentials right here. Um, This is off of your uh, record, Buddy's Magic Toy Box, and uh, it features Jer and Stack Like Pancakes. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a great straight-up ska song. (laughs) Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how this song came to be. This was me trying to make my version of Super Rad. (laughs) That's what this was. Um, Yeah, I love Aquabats, and this was me being like, all right, if I was in that mode in that time period, I was trying to make make that for kids, this is what it would sound like. And, um, you know, uh, myself and Jared had talked for probably a year or so just about collaborating and... And I knew like this has to be the right project, has to be the right thing. Um, I had met Kellen of Stack Like Pancakes on a tour, maybe, maybe through MC Lars, probably on a warp tour or something. And um, I thought if I'm gonna do a ska record, I gotta get people on here who actually are experienced in the art of ska. You know, I wouldn't go and do a hip hop song and not work with hip hop producers or composers. So uh so in a, in my attempt to, you know, bridge a gap a little bit with the the indie rap in the ska world. Um, I, I sent the record to those guys and, you know, it, it's really the hardest record I've ever, ever put together because um, there are like seven instrumentalists on this, on this song. Um, so I did all the writing of the lyrics, but I needed help. So initially I used an AI software to just strip down one of my favorite ska songs and then just use the drum beat. And I was like, okay, this will be my starting point. You know, so I basically like deconstruct an existing ska song and then like rebuild my own ska song. And that's kind of been my process when it comes to making something that I haven't made before. I'm like, let me, let me take it apart. See how I can see if I can figure it out. So thanks to a bunch of different AI apps, I was able to just break apart songs and be like, all right, well, here's the melody line. Here's the horn line. And here's the here's the drums. And here's what this sounds like just by itself. And so then I was able to get an idea. And so I put a scratch version together on an existing drum pattern. Um, and I was like, OK, I think this this sounds good. I've, I've, um, I even got I was doing it on stream at the time. I was on Twitch, like making a song together on stream. And um and when I listen back, I'm like, man, 
this became recess because like it sounded <laughs> like crap. <laughs> but again, it was me using a bunch of like stock loops and you know terrible plugins, just just trying to get the idea going. And uh, you know, I needed to prove a concept before I would go to like experienced musicians and and get them to collaborate. So I just started working on it from there. We built up something that was decent. I used a bunch of samples that sounded terrible. And I'm like, all right, we're going to replace these. So even when I gave it to, to Jared, I was like, I'm going to replace this with a real horn player. And uh, Jared's like, dude, I'll play. Let me play trombone. And I'm like, yes, let's go. And so I, uh, I, I take off all the terrible sampled you know, trombone that I had in there. And Jared just like killed it. And um, I'd already had the chorus. Like I said, I, I wrote all the lyrics. And so all I needed was someone else to just jump in and just go back and forth with me just to, to create that that fun recess energy. You know, I don't, I don't know if you can make a song about recess and just be by yourself. I feel like you got to be in a group with a group of friends jumping around and playing. So it could be a sad recess. <laughs> all by yeah. yourself. Lonely recess. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a song. Sad recess. Could you tell us the song that you started with? Um, yeah, it was super rad. <laughs> was it super rad? Okay. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally super rad. Um, but my friend Bradley, Bradley Conklin, who goes by drum, drum boy advance, uh, played me a drum pattern, sounded close enough to it, but not completely ripping it off. And, um, we just started from there. I was like, all right, you know, with hip hop, it starts with the drums. Like the drums have to hit a certain way and then it kind of can drive the rest. And so that's where I always start. And uh, so I started with his drums. His drums were amazing. And uh, so that bringing that, I don't know how you guys with bands do any recording and get anything done. I'm used to just beats and raps, you know, (laughs) it's like one track for beat, one track for rap. Here we go. And I'm done a song in an hour. But this, oh, my goodness, this song went through about seven or eight transformations in the process. And um, just being able to have the soap. Once Bradley was finished the drums, he gave me, I guess, six drum tracks for that. Uh, my friend Danny T comes in and plays organ, and then he plays some trombone. And then uh, my friend Nico comes in, plays some extra trombone lines. And then Jared comes in, does vocals and trombone lines. And then Kellen does amazing vocal runs. And so now we got... 32 tracks of music here that we need to figure out. And my engineer, who was primarily a hip hop, uh, you know, engineer was, was definitely in over his head. He's like, dude, I can usually finish one of your mixes in a day, but this one's going to take a while. And I'm like, no problem. And so we had seven or eight different mixes before we got to the right one. And, um, and he learned a lot in the process. So he's like, man, now I feel so, I used to be really self-conscious about tracking live instruments, but going through this i think i think i got it now you know so uh yeah i was just really lucky to work with a lot of really great musicians who were like well a ska song should have this and a ska song should hit here and this should hit there you know so um that helped out so much and um and yeah i'm i'm in love with the song like i I think it's one of the best songs i ever made and i'm proud of it and uh yeah it's been able to like i play it now at like rap shows and people are like oh yeah sky and like it never fails i can i can say hey like can anybody skank in this crowd and never fails i will get three or four people who want to come on stage and skank with me so uh so that's really cool it's good it's great to see that you know that sky still you know has some 
some good memories in the in the minds and hearts of some people. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing my little part to to keep Scott going. Thank you for your service. Can you remember um, when you first came became aware of Chair? Uh, yes, I think if I'm not mistaken, probably was the Scottoon Network stuff um, mm-hmm. for sure. If you're not familiar, but I'm sure your listeners are that uh, Jer does. Um, Cartoon covers in the in the sky and cartoon video game covers in the style of sky, which really really kicked butt and uh, I think went kind of kind of low key viral online, and um, and I think because of that, uh, Scottoon Network wound up getting booked to play Magfest, and um, that was when I saw a live show and I was just like blown away, like holy cannoli, this is amazing. So that was Magfest twenty twenty. I believe it was the first time I saw Scott Two Network, and then I believe they played again in 2023. And I was like, "This is so awesome!" You know, first of all, seeing and I'm sure for everybody, they like well, you see, um, Jer's energy, you know, and when you when you experience it live, it's so infectious, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this is a person who's so into this that I can't I can't not be into this, you know. So a very infectious energy, which is what got me going so um we we chatted ever since 2020 we've just we've kind of kept in contact with emails or dms like hey i see what you're doing great great work you know hey i'm coming to florida can you help me put something together hey i'm coming to arizona can you help me something like that and then we played together last march and i think that was when it finally clicked we uh we played a gig um in michigan called stoop fest and i was basically it's like the country's biggest porch music festival (laughs) Which is a weird flex, but okay. Um, so yeah, this this thing was really cool, and uh, and Jared was was a headliner one night, and and uh, we had two or three conversations that weekend, and uh, I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna send you something that I'm working on," and Jared's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, let's do it," and boom, this time I was like, "I'm following up, I'm doing it," and so that was what happened, and uh, once I sent the record over. In its early iteration, I think Jared was like, I see where this is going and I want to be a part of it. So let me play some trombone. Let me do. So uh, Jared does a sick solo that kind of ends up the song as well as uh, some great vocal work. So. Uh, so, yeah, it was just I think with most same way most of my collaborations happen is like we see each other in public or we see each other in passing at a bunch of jams. And then we're like, let's work together. Most of the time it never happens, if I can be honest. But sometimes if you push hard enough. It actually happens. <laughs> Will we hear uh, a Mega Ran verse on an upcoming Jer release at any point? Mm. I hope so. Um, I'm not at liberty to say. <laughs> if it's not already in the works, I'm just putting that out there. I'll just say, if you got ears, then listen out and uh, and hang tight. That's all <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with Stack Like Pancakes, I was kind of looking it up, and I saw that um, there's an MC Lars track in 2019, Bartleby the Scrivener, I think, yes. where you and Stack Like Pancakes are on the track. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That was the first time we worked together. I was wondering if that was sort of the beginning of you guys having any sort of working relationship together? It was. It was. And even then, I hadn't, I hadn't met them. Maybe I did. You know, I feel like we had met them, and then... Many years later, we did the uh, the Bartleby track. Um, Lars was like, "We got to do a Sky record," and we're like, "Absolutely!" And so we did it. And um, 
And I don't think we had even met in person at that time. So uh, later we wound up uh, doing that track and it just came out so well. And I was like, hmm, where can I find a ska band? And I'm like, oh, yeah, stack like pancakes. And um, I think I caught them at a good time because they were they're all kind of separated. They all live in different places after the pandemic. And and um, and Kellen was like, yes, absolutely. And um, we would. um. Kellen's also pretty active on Twitch, like playing video games and streaming. And so, so am I. So we kind of met up there and we would, um, we would play like Fortnite together and things like that and get to know each other. And then that was, uh, that made making the song so much easier. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm a big fan of them. I love their stuff. So I'm glad we were able to work on something cool. There's a video. I think it's, I think I saw it on like Instagram reels or something. It's a short video. And you're playing like keyboard bass to a ska song. Yeah. It's like 30 seconds long. Oh yeah. Was this part of the, was this part of the demoing of recess or is this something different? Yes. That was, that was me doing the, uh, the terrible demos in the beginning. (laughs) I think, I think I'm playing it over. I'm probably playing it over the super rad drums at that time. And um, so it was like, you know, I was on stream just being like, how's this sound? And I'm like on the keyboard trying to do a bass line. And I'm like, this probably sounds terrible, but here we go. <laughs> you know, and um, so that helped me out a lot just as far as that was me working on the demo version so that I could let people hear it and, and work on a collab together. So the, this record, Buddy's Magic Toy Box, this is a, a kid's record. I want to talk about it a little bit because I feel like a lot of people get to a point in their career where they say, it's time for me to do the kids record. And I don't feel like they often deliver on something that's really got any legs on it, but your, your record is really good. It seems like you put a lot of thought into making it be something that kids would like, something that their parents would also like. That it was something that would be fun, but also not talk down to kids. Like it's got good lessons, like good, like emotional lessons for kids. So tell me a little bit about the the decision and the process of making this record. Well, for me, um, you know, I'd experienced such a big change in my life where I became a new father. And um, around that time, it was in, a, in an unconventional way, we, we fostered and then adopted a, a baby that came to us at like three weeks old. And so, so, uh, we basically went through the entire, you know, process of, you know, raising a baby, you know, and, um, and eventually you want to play music for them and and you realize how impressionable young minds and all minds are. And, uh, and I think that's what encouraged me to do it. You know, it was like, yeah, let me try this. And I I really didn't think I could do it. I was just like, uh, I don't know if it's going to work out, you know, not to say that I'm such a like gangster rapper that this won't, you know, work with my persona. I think I'm already such a, you know, uh, my music's clean. It's already kind of happy-go-lucky. Uh, so it's not much of a stretch, but it was very important to me to make a record that talked to kids and not like at them. You know, I think just being a teacher for a long time taught me how to communicate with children. And uh, and I wanted to make sure that I was being very aware of how to talk to kids and, and um, make something that they would actually listen to. You know, and when I listened to a lot of kids' music, I was like, wait, are any children actually listening to this? Because I feel like a lot of it is just like music adults make to 
feel good about themselves. And um, and I wanted to make sure that I had real lessons that I'd experienced when I was teaching and as well as being a parent, you know. So um, I wanted the record to kind of grow up with him. You know, it starts off with counting and simple stuff, you know, that he's doing right now at two. And, and by the end of the record, we're talking about choosing the right friends, friends that support each other, um, not judging a book by its cover, not discriminating against people, um, things like that. So so the the values and the the stories start to grow up and they start to age as, as a child would. So I want this to be a record that can be played for, you know, kids of any age. And brought back to them later when they grow up and they understand it. In the meantime, they might be like, oh, that's a great beat. It's a great chorus, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, but, you know, my kid loves fruit. So writing a song about fruit was easy, you know, things like that. So it was um, it was so much fun to make. I'm so proud of the record. Um, we had a we had a really big Grammy push campaign and we did not get the nomination, unfortunately. But uh, but again, no regrets. I feel so good about this record, about the the impact it's had on people they've been like just telling me that they love it so much that their kids love it they sing along with it and i'm just proud because that's really like i didn't think i could do this so it just really uh, you know just impressed me that you know we stuck it we stuck through it and really stuck the landing and i just you know i feel so great about it so i'm proud there are no regrets there are no uh no mistakes in this thing so I'm super, super proud. There's a song about bullying where I think that's what what I like about it is you you address the issue and how it's affecting everybody. And you even give them some, you even give kids a little bit of insight into like maybe what's causing bullying so as not to necessarily paint them as like evil, but as people that deserve empathy as well. Yeah. That's been a, that was a tough, that was the toughest record to write, honestly, is because it's like, I remember talking about it on stream, just like talking through it with with some supporters and being like, what's the answer? You know, like I'm used to songs being like, all right, here's three verses. And the third verse is, you know, the the resolution. And um, there really isn't an easy resolution for bullying. Just being like, oh, man, turn the other cheek. And it's like, oh, it's easy for you to say when you're getting punched in the head every day or you know, oh, that kid is is really going through things. So be empathetic. And it's like also easy for you to say when someone's getting punched in the head, you know, so it's it's super difficult. And so um, I was I had such a hard time just like coming up with a resolution. But I thought understanding is the way, you know, so at the same time, you know, you can be aware of the situation. You can get away from the situation, of course. But I think it's important to understand why that kid might be lashing out at you because they have some serious issues going on at home that they're trying to fix. So they could be being bullied at home. So, um, yeah, it was the toughest, maybe the toughest record I had to write in a very long time because I'm used to just having that clear cut solution. And I realized that when it comes to bullying, there is no clear cut answer. So, uh, so yeah, that was not easy. Yeah. But I guess, you know, having, uh, having a kid, uh, knowing the right things to say to your own kid is is same kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. The story of rap is another one I really like because you give you give kids like a crash course in the history of rap, which is cool because you know I I think like that information is out there, but I don't think you you know you don't you don't really learn about the history of rap usually when you're that young. It, it comes later when you get really into it. 
Yeah, that was fun for me. You know, it, it's the 50th year of hip hop, you know, celebrating it. So I think if you're if you're in the process of celebrating it, you should probably know where it comes from. So um, I had a really, really fun time putting that together. And uh, it's probably my favorite on the record, too, because maybe some adults might learn something from it. Yeah. And it's got it's got a little bit of a reggae groove, too. And, and it's a reggae groove. Yeah. Yeah. Was that just the beat that it came with or was that a nod to its roots coming from uh DJ Cool Herc. Um, that was definitely a nod for sure. DJ Cool Herc is from Jamaica. And um, that's one thing that I didn't get to mention in the song. But um, yes, I think that reggae dance hall roots and hip hop roots are are connected big time. You could ask anybody in New York, I'm sure, with the, the huge Caribbean impact that that has been on hip hop since the beginning. So uh so yeah, absolutely that was not an accident. That was me wanting something that had a bit of a reggae groove to it uh, to for the song so yeah <laughs> i'm glad you picked up on that we'll be right back after this hey everybody it's barry from the what podcast hey it's russ hey it's brian and we are giving away two tickets to bonnaroo 2024 these are ga plus and they include camping russ how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I want to ask about your involvement with Clerks 3 because you got a song on the soundtrack and you got on the soundtrack just through a Kevin Smith post, right? And responding to a post. Just responding to a post. Sometimes it's worth it to just respond to a tweet. dude. Um, you know, people are like, man, how do you make these connections? Oh man, you're so connected. Oh goodness gracious. You're so connected. And it's like, nah, I just responded to a tweet. So, um, I mean, <laughs> granted I had to send the right song. I mean, if I would have sent the story of rap, I probably wouldn't have worked, but you know, I had to send the right song and someone looked at it. So, yeah, Kevin Smith put out a call for songs to go on the Kirk's soundtrack, Kirk's 3. And, um, you know, it's really cool. I think in the past he's done that, too. Um, I don't know if he's done like a Twitter search, but he's usually, you know, hired uh, independent bands to do most of his soundtracks. And so um, he's like, hey, if you got a song that'll work. And that's funny because we literally don't have a story. We don't know what. He didn't give us the script of Clerks 3. It was just like, well, based on what you know about Kevin Smith, send me a song that might work. And uh, and I was like, absolutely. Tractor Beam is my jam. And um, in a lot of ways, I had a fan point out, and I didn't realize it, that he thought Tractor Beam is like a precursor to Buddy's Magic Toy Box. It was the it was the lead single on my previous album, 595. And it was it's very sing-songy, you know, catchy type stuff and that's really what i did for a lot of the buddies magic toy box album so yeah it was kind of the beginning of me unlocking a little bit of that inside me yeah so where was i oh yeah so we uh i responded to the tweet i send the message i send the, uh, and then we just wait and like a day later i get a dm from some dude named chris and he's like hey uh did you write that song all the way you know that song that you sent to, to kevin smith and i was like who is this and he's like i'm a friend of kevin i was like yeah right like i don't believe this at all and um, and I'm like, mm, are you sure? So I start just doing some Googles and searching 
his name and an association with Kevin Smith. And I'm like, oh, snap. He's like actually appeared in a couple of his movies, you know. Uh, Kevin's so great at like hiring his friends. So, so yeah, this guy's like actually a part of the universe. So I'm like, all right, cool. And he's like, all right, I just wanted to know if you wrote it all the way. I'm like, yes. And surprisingly, I mean, I'm a hip hop artist, so we do sample a lot. But this was one of the first songs where I made the beat, I wrote the song, I mixed it, I produced it completely, and then I put it out. So there's not a lot of songs in my in my catalog that I'm 100% in ownership of, but that was one of them. And I'm like, yep, it's just me. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. And so then I get an email and they're like, hey, uh, we want to put this in the movie. And um, and he's like, oh, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. And I'm like, cool. But how about y'all give me a ticket to the premiere? And they were like, oh, yeah, no problem. And sent me two tickets to the premiere in Hollywood and got to meet them, got to meet the whole cast. And and that was just an amazing time. And I think, I mean, I would have just took that <laughs> over the money, you know, <laughs> to be honest. I just wanted to hang out, you know, be a part of that, you know, getting to meet like so many cool people. So, um, but yeah, man. Yeah, kids. Uh, I don't know. You know, Twitter is kind of a bit of a cesspool these days, but, but, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the amount of accessibility you're able to pull off just meeting with people or just, just responding to stuff. It literally anybody could see it at any time. So, you know, when, when I have friends or people in bands that are like, Oh, I don't, I don't do Twitter. I don't have a Twitter. I'm like, what? You're completely missing out. That couldn't have happened on Instagram. Like, I don't think that that would have even worked out that way. So it's just Twitter. So, um, so yeah, there are still some, some positive part points to Twitter. So, uh, yeah, that was just me shooting my shot. Yeah. This is the thing that bums me the, uh, bums me out the most about Twitter becoming the cesspool that it is now is because it's the thing that you can tweet at famous people and they'll actually respond to you. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could say someone sucks and you probably get a response quicker, quicker than like, Oh, I love your stuff. But still the point is, yeah, like they could literally see exactly what you are saying to them and they can respond to it in real time, which is insane. Like there's no other place where you can get that kind of accessibility with people you don't know. The footage of you and Kevin where Kevin like singing or, you know, singing along to the song. It was that at the premiere. No, that was at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, so that was oh, okay. a few months earlier, but I just kind of saved it for that moment. But um, yeah, he had a meet and greet at Comic-Con. And um, after it was done, I asked if I could, you know, have a moment to meet him. And uh, and when I walked in the room, <laughs> he was singing the song. I was like, what the heck, dude? And uh, and I was like, I got to film you doing that. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, I think another person that was on that same soundtrack was... Uh... Chris Crow from Loser. Yes, yes, I know Chris. He's great. You guys have played together because uh, because Chris is from the sort of the chip and the ska scene. Yes, uh, you know it's funny. Chris was, uh, I feel so bad, but Chris sent me some some chip tune parts for Recess. So Chris was supposed to also be featured on Recess, but we just thought the record just got way too big. There were too many cooks in the kitchen, so I didn't get a moment to use it. But maybe on some sort of remix or I think another song we should totally build together. So there will be some collaborations with Chris. We're doing the um the Kevin Smith cruise together uh in February. So hopefully Yeah, I saw that. That's uh February twenty twenty four. Yes. So hopefully by then we'll have we'll have some songs together. Interesting, interesting uh, experience to do a uh, cruise. 
Yeah, have you ever been on a cruise before? Yes, I did the Joko cruise um, a couple years ago, Jonathan Colton's cruise. Um, that was, it was actually 2020, right when the pandemic kicked off, and I thought we weren't going to get off the boat, so <laughs> it was very, very nerve-wracking. You were on a boat, you were on a cruise when the pandemic hit? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was man. on a boat, oh, March 2020, we were on a boat, and um, Will Wheaton canceled. He was like, oh, I'm not getting on that, and um, a few other people did too, but I was like, man, come on, it's a, it's a boat, they're paying for everything, let's go. And so we get on this boat, and we're just like, you know, guys, someone said, like, don't get on the internet. Don't watch TV. Just just stay in the moment and enjoy yourself. And we'll deal with the world when we get back. And I'm like, great idea. And then one day at dinner, like the second day, someone's on the internet and they pull out their phone and like, dude, Tom Hanks got it. <laughs> and then uh, someone else is like, the NBA season is canceled. Oh my God. And then like kind of mass panic slowly starts spreading throughout the boat. But we're like, you know what? Let's just have fun, guys. We're here. Like, you know, don't worry about it. And uh, yeah, we then we try our best to forget about it. And then we our first stop, we were supposed to go to Turks and Caicos. And um, and then we get a we get a call from Turks saying that they're not going to let an American boat dock right now because they don't feel safe. (laughs) Uh, So we're like, oh, boy, are we literally going to be on this boat for a week? Like we're not getting off. Then we go to the Bahamas. Luckily, I think it was Norwegian. They have their own private island on the bahamas so we were able to get off there and do our thing but it was just ridiculous (laughs) um and then we got home safely somehow you know but this was this was a really crazy time they were just walking around squirting uh the hand sanitizer at our hands every time they saw us and uh just tried our best to stay safe but it was very scary so no one on the boat got sick then not that I know of. I mean, I don't know how much they would have told us to be honest, but, um, but yeah, as far as I know, no one got sick. And when we got, when we docked, I was like, oh, they're not going to let us off this boat. They're going to make us quarantine or something. I'd heard stories about people just quarantining in their, in their rooms on boats. And, uh, and sure enough though, they let us all get off. They were like, all right, let's go. And we all just left. I was like, wait, what? wait really? Okay, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, this is before, you know, this is like, it's still very early. So it's before vaccines, before, before masking, even, you know, people were just like, let's go. <laughs> we just got off and got out there. And thank goodness. Nobody got sick. Oh, that sounds crazy. <laughs> that is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. I did not think we were going to make it out there. <laughs> let's go back a little bit um, to uh, 2016 when a contestant on Jeopardy mentioned Nerdcore and Alex Trebek made a crack about it made a joke saying that sounds like these are losers. So you did a, uh, I, I did it start with you, the verse you did on, on yeah, it started with me that night I was on tour and I saw it. And that same night I, um, so I kept getting tagged in it like nonstop. But what people don't realize is once, when something hits TV for jeopardy, it's, it's probably a month old at that point, you know, like they aren't live. They film three, four, five episodes a day. And, um, and they're, they've moved on by the time it hits TV, but it went viral. It still goes viral every couple of years. And, um, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to respond. And so I, I kicked a little freestyle that night from uh, like a hotel somewhere in like Alabama. I don't know. I was in some weird place. And um, just basically being like, oh, it's, it's easy to say you're the smartest when you got all the note cards and, and how can you call, you know, nerds losers when your whole show is built for nerds? 
um, and things like that. Just just pointing out the hypocrisy in, in what he was saying. And I wasn't necessarily offended, but I thought it was super ironic. It's like, all right, of all the ways to go viral, it's you teasing people for being intelligent or awkward. Like, what? <laughs> like, come on, dude. So it was very ironic. And so I put that little freestyle out. And the next morning, it was on TMZ. And TMZ's like, oh, a little, you know, some, I don't know. They just kind of downplayed me. Like, local rapper strikes back, you know. And uh, and I remember <laughs> them, like, the, the guys who look at the TV and could respond where they were like, eh, well. That kind of was weak. Like, eh, maybe they are losers. I think that was all they said, and then they just moved on. <laughs> and I'm like, oh wow, that was not that was not very um very nice. And um yeah, they never mentioned it again. And then um a bunch of the the homies. I was on tour with MC Chris. Shout out to MC Chris. Um and uh and so I was like, well, I'm going to use this five seconds of fame and make it thirty minutes. And so I uh, I then would film the crowd at the end of my set saying, suck it, Trebek. And uh, and then I would post it every night. Hey, the losers have something to say to you, Alex. Suck it, Trebek. You know? And uh, <laughs> and it was hilarious to me because these are like huge crowds of maybe three, four, five hundred folks every night just suck it, Trebek. And, um, and I didn't mean anything by it, but it was super fun. And uh, and eventually, uh, I think it started getting a little, little traction and MC Chris asked me to stop. He's like, can you not do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're giving us a bit of a bad name here, you know? And I'm like, what? Why not? Like, let's just have fun with it. And uh, he did a big interview for like Billboard or something like that about it. And then um, literally every nerdcore rapper came out of the woodwork and was like, let's write a diss track to Alex Trebek. And so we all did. And it was called like, who is Alex Trebek? And um, I doubt he ever heard it. Like, I'm sure he moved on. He's never commented on what happened. And, uh, you know, on a bit of a morbid note, um, he's dead, which means <laughs> I won that beef, I think. Um, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we won. The losers win. I I said that one time. I said, I've only been in a beef with one person, and he's dead. So don't try me. <laughs> I'd say that's a win. <laughs> this was a brief moment where Nerdcore was discuss- discussed in sort of a a albeit brief moment in the mainstream but can you can you give people like a crash course of nerdcore as a scene that's very difficult um but i can give my my perspective i think um it's funny like it depends on kind of who you ask because they've all seen it in different places i know, I know Lars has a really good description um that um there was a band named nerf herder who uh was from Oxnard, and so they called their music Nardcore. Um, and then from there, that started to get maybe just changed in the in just the normal, you know, the way things get passed around. And someone just said Nardcore once. Um, MC Frontalot, who's in the Bay Area, um, is credited with Nardcore hip hop, and uh, and that's the first time I'd heard it. Um, second time I heard it was a, a rapper named YT Cracker who made an album called nerd rap entertainment system and uh, he just took a bunch of nintendo samples and rapped on them and it was brilliant and um and he was like this big time hacker who was like uh that's where like the yt cracker came from he's like a white hat hacker uh but i thought it was a very original name and um and so that was all happening while i was making music that maybe wasn't 
wasn't or maybe it wasn't nerdcore, but just didn't have a name. And I was doing Mega Man stuff and other things. And um, and someone said one day, "Yo, that sounds like nerdcore." And I was like, "Wait, what's that?" And so I looked it up, and it was a nerdcore forum. And I started chatting with the nerdcore forum people, and having a really good time. And um, and then later I would meet front a lot Lars, Chris, uh, and all the other like OGs of nerdcore. And uh, so for far as I know, I think nerdcore could have been defined as or is defined as like music you know at that time it was hip-hop but i think it's any type of music that is maybe giving a um, a nod to any nerdy you know topics things that they really loved so it was pop culture stuff it was coding it was you know relationship woes it was all these other things but um but yeah then i discovered that there's like Harry Potter, there's wizard rock, there's there's folk that's nerdy, there's so many other genres. Uh the proto men are like a rock opera, you know. So um all those can fit under the umbrella of nerdcore, but I feel like what nowadays what nerdcore sounds like is is hip hop mostly based on the thing that kids loved when they watched like anime, video games, comic books, comic book movies, pop culture. Uh I believe the most Nerdcore, the most, the biggest presence of Nerdcore is is now on YouTube, and it's YouTubers that rap about their favorite anime, comic books, video games, things like that, and get huge numbers. You know, uh, creating music on a um, almost like a weekly basis, very much like a like an, on a content creator's vloggers kind of schedule, where they have a certain day where new songs come out at a certain time and new videos and and things like that. And uh, it's been a really interesting journey that Nerdcore has been taking. And um, so, yeah, I think that's where Nerdcore exists now is just music about nerdy stuff, you know, and um, mostly that mostly lives on the Internet. Your first record um, as random was not wasn't really so much in this vein. It was like after that, when you did the Mega Man record that you really kind of went into this direction more. Yeah, the first record is called The Call. It was very much um, like a conscious rap album, very much like socio-political, spiritual, uh, underground rap album, just about the way things are in the world. And um, this came out in 2006, so this is like uh, you know a few years after 9-11. This is George W. Bush, second term. Like a lot of things are happening in the world, and it's just you know I wrote about a lot of that. And honestly, when I finished the record, I was kind of drained. Like it was it was very much. A stressful process, like talking about these things, and um, and I didn't want to make any more music. I was like, "Well, I said everything I need to say. Like, I'm done." And uh, and then I just took a long break and started playing video games again. And that's where my next inspiration came from. I was like, oh, "I got it!" Like, video games. I love the music and hip hop. We love the music, so why don't we sample and just make make something new by utilizing our our heroes and our, this music that we grew up with, much like. Our heroes used jazz, they used funk, they used soul, they used all these other genres of music to create the hip-hop tracks we love. So why not take my classics, which are Mega Man and Nintendo sounds, and try to make new songs out of them? That was it. Were you aware of anyone else fiddling around with video game sounds and stuff when you were doing that? Not really. I Googled just to see if anybody was doing it, and um, I couldn't find anybody. Like I said, the, the Whitey Cracker album came out the year before mine did YT cracker did all Nintendo themes. And so I featured him on the album when it came out on the mega rain album. Um, The closest I could find was the megas. They're an LA band who did, um, they would replay 
the music from the Mega Man games and then sang songs as the bosses. Um, so that was probably, that's like the rock version of what I do. I'm curious your relationship with uh, the mini bosses since uh, they're, they're in this video game world and they're also from Arizona. Yeah. They're the OGs in this. Like when I started um, off, well, they're not from, but they, they relocated there. Like, just like you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like we're not as close as one would think with us both being in Arizona, both doing video game music. It's, it would seem like we should be playing a show together every month, but, um, but we don't, but, but we've played maybe four or five shows together in the past. Um, they're, lineup has changed a bunch and they you know have different levels of commitment so, uh, availability so uh so yeah when there's comic cons and things happening we tend to play together um i love those guys they're the ogs like they were the first bands i heard of there was them the advantage and the neskimos were the very first like video game cover bands that i'd ever heard of and then when i moved to arizona i was like oh snap they're in arizona too what i can see them all the time and so i would go to all their shows and um, but yeah, we haven't done any collaborations, which I think would be fun. But we have done a handful of shows together. And many bosses do like sort of like a math rock version of like old video game songs. And um, they also like some some of those bands are like super super like precise and tight, but the mini bosses are like loose and kind of goofy. Yes, yes, they are. They're very goofy. I love that about them. They're not really concerned with like nailing it exactly, but they do really interesting, fun, goofy, uh, you know, covers and versions. Um, one of their running jokes is, is DuckTales. They love DuckTales. So they play it like multiple times during the set and, uh, yeah. and it gets wackier each time and things like that. So yeah, they're really fun. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. You recently, um, a couple of years ago, you wrote a memoir kind of telling your story. And um, one of the things that you talked about was you getting into becoming a musician started with, um, you know, a tragedy. You're dealing with the tragedy of your uncle and him, him getting killed while you were at home and how this was a critical moment for you choosing to be a musician. Yeah. My uncle was, I mean, he was my favorite uncle. And, um, I felt, I felt so weird and like guilty, you know, for something that I really had no control over, but, but he gave me the choice to be there, you know, to come with him. And, uh, he was killed like, violently in like a random rest stop killing. And, and I just realized like, man, if, if I would have made one different decision, I would have been there too. And how different, you know, things could have turned out. And so, uh, it was actually, it was music that, that kept me home. You know, normally I would be the first one wanting to ride shotgun with my uncle, but I, I said no, because I was in the process of writing new music and we were just in a zone and feeling good. And, and I said, nah. And, uh, and then this, this terribly tragic thing happened. And I was like, man, like I, I really could have been there. So 
that made me rethink everything and just take things a little more seriously, including music, you know, which at that time, even the songs that I was so excited about weren't even, uh, you know, like they weren't even going to be heard. Like this was stuff I was just recording on a very simple, uh, you know, uh, four track recorder for songs that weren't, were never going to come out. Like these songs aren't probably haven't been heard by 10 people. Uh, but I was just so into it that, um, you know, I didn't want to stop this session. And, uh, so yeah, I, that definitely made me change so much about my approach for sure. Sometimes it takes a tragedy or a, a really terrible thing, you know, to, to get you, get you to change direction. And that was, that was it for me. I read an interview where I think you said that this sort of this incident or this, these this had an impact on you choosing to be clean and to be positive when it came to making music? Yeah, um, for sure. I think that, you know, it made me think like, well, I could, you know, make. So the the weird part of it is that the gentleman that uh, that killed my uncle was a, an aspiring rapper. and uh, And for some reason, he thought that, you know, being violent and your music was what people wanted to hear. And then also, like, more importantly, he felt that being violent in real life was what violent rappers did, you know? So uh, so in order for him to appeal, appear real, uh, he really wanted to, to, to actually do the things that we were, he was rapping about. Um, and so that just made me think, like, wow, like, that hopefully that's not normal and what everyone thinks, but it definitely made me think, whoa, like I certainly don't want to be the kind of rapper that sends this message. So, you know, whether I can, uh, you know, change anybody's mind or not uh, is irrelevant, but I knew for myself, I just wanted to do something that was a little different. And so therefore I've, I've been able to maintain a 15 year rap career without like foul language, you know, which is pretty amazing, I think. Um, but I don't make a big deal of it. Like I never mentioned it like rap that's free from foul language, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no cursing here, you know, um, it's more or less just something I, I do. Um, and so, you know, if people notice it, that's cool. But if not, that's also cool. I mean, you have to be a little bit more creative to fill in, fill in, uh, beats and syllables without dropping the f-bomb yeah for sure there's been some times where i was like ah man this would be the perfect time for an f-bomb but then i'm like eh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> then when when you kind of got uh connected to the quote you know the nerdcore hip-hop scene and uh then you became sort of part of the scene did you feel like you know through since then did you feel like ever like i don't want to be only seen as this or i don't want to be pigeonholed or did you really enjoy just kind of that place being in that place i enjoyed it you know just being able to of course any artist doesn't want to be pigeonholed but i but i enjoy the scene because it's a it's a community that's very supportive of each other and you know it enabled me to to stand out you know and to do something that was different from what i was hearing so um so yeah i enjoyed it but i've tried to branch out and it's it's almost never worked out you know and for a long time, I used to be random, aka Mega Ran, and um, it's just I don't have enough bandwidth to possibly be two, you know, two people for two different audiences. 
And um, therefore, it didn't work out. I'm like, I'm just a mega ran. That's who I am. But some days I want to talk about video games. Some days I want to talk about how much Donald Trump sucks, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it was just a matter of being comfortable enough with myself to, to just be my entire self the whole time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So this year you um, put together the Dream Master Mixtape Festival in Yuma. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to put this festival together? Uh, yeah, pretty simple. A lot of people were like, you know, why don't you play this festival? Why aren't you on Coachella? Why aren't you on this? You know? And I thought, eh, I'll probably never get on those. So why don't we just make our own festival? And uh, I was just really, really excited about trying to put that together. And my manager, Jeff, was like, let's do it. You know, and um, we played this venue once in Yuma and met a guy who was and he was just one of the coolest venue owners I'd ever met. We felt very similar, both new fathers, both music heads like um, and we clicked on so many things. And I said, well, what if I could bring like all my friends that make music or people that I've been on tours with or things like that? And we do a little weekend festival here, um, which be down. He's like, yeah. So. He was nice enough to open his doors and and to to support that and um yeah I was super happy about it and um Yuma's a place that's like right midway between L.A. and um yeah it's right between L.A. and Arizona so it's like you can get to either one of them pretty quickly and uh, so yeah we we were able to put out a great festival with a great lineup and uh, we're gonna do it again next year nice yeah so. Let's see. You had um, AJJ, another uh, another Phoenix band or, or Arizona, I guess, at this point band. Yes, we wanted we wanted the mini bosses. Hopefully, this year we'll get them, but we were not able to. Yeah, and mini bosses. If you're listening, let's uh, let's do it next year. What's your relationship or, or history with AJJ? Um, we don't really have any like history per se. I mean, I think that I've just hung out a ton with with various guys from the band, just going to shows, you know, over the years. Um, that's kind of been it really. I think we were just both in Arizona, both hanging out and, uh, Sean, just an amazing guy. We we did a podcast together during the pandemic and just talking about where, where AJJ was going and things like that. And, um, and so we had, uh, oh, we just, you know, we just met up a bunch and we're just very, very like cordial, friendly, you know, grinding musicians and bands. And uh yeah, I just wanted to, you know, get some some bands on the on the thing that would would not be expected. You know, it's like, oh man, you may not expect Mega Ran and AJJ. Like, let's do something cool. So uh yeah, it just kind of worked out. Yeah, it always seems to me like when I think about the sort of Phoenix scene, it always seems like there's just people who are connected or friends or play together that you wouldn't think. Like the scene really is very cross genre. Oh, for sure. You know, I think I think it's helped by a lot of the really great um, DIY venues we have here, like the trunk space, things like that, where I wind up playing multi-genre shows and I love them. They're like my favorite part. So, uh, so yeah, like being able to do that in these really fun DIY all ages spaces, I think that's what brings all the bands together for sure. You also had Open Mike Eagle on the uh, festival, who is a friend of the show. Um, I, I was I was looking up to see, and uh, the earliest I saw you guys collaborate together was in like 2011. Yes, we've been friends a very long time. I think, um, ironically, Mike and my wife went to school together. We went to college together, and um, oh. and Mike, I went to 
I think maybe he, I don't know, he was, we were playing a show together somewhere. And my wife was like, hey, I think I know that guy. We went to school together. And uh, then we went and had dinner that night and just became friends. And um, we've toured together a bunch, 2010, 2011, 2012. Uh, We've done some music together. Um, Yeah, we hang out whenever I'm in LA. I try to make sure to hang out with him. And uh, likewise, so yeah, we we are we've been really good friends for a long time. I think um, we're we're all in this like weird underground rap space, you know, just trying to figure figure things out all the time. And uh, so yeah, we and we both love wrestling. So yeah, we're good friends. Let's see. I want to go back to wrestling. I don't really actually know a lot about wrestling, so I got some uh, friends gave me some wrestling questions. But first, I want to talk about how you you made a record called "Wrestling Is Real" and people are fake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, usually around WrestleMania in March, April, I, I try to come out with some wrestling themed thing. And uh, this last year, this 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 year was "Wrestling Is Real, People Are Fake." Um, I heard Jake the Snake say that one time in an interview, and I was like, "That is great," you know. And uh, so yeah, it's just songs, maybe about seven songs about how much I love wrestling, just with full of references to eighties and nineties wrestlers and a lot of fun moments throughout history. And, um, yeah, I even have a couple of wrestlers like featured on there and they just like do some singing or things like that. So it's been, it's been a really fun journey through wrestling for me where now like wrestlers actually kind of know who I am, which is pretty, pretty wild. Oh yeah. Does Sammy Zayn know who you are? I don't think so. Um, unfortunately, cause I love Sammy Zayn and I think he loves Scott. So Sami Zayn is the ska loving wrestler. Yes. Yes. So I've actually sat next to him a couple of times, but we didn't get to talk. I was, I was, I was so nervous. I was an extra on on an episode of SmackDown in Phoenix. And, um, and uh, I have a friend, Xavier Woods who wrestles. And because I knew someone, they didn't make me sit in the, uh, like the back area where like, uh, extra sit where there's like no windows and a, a boring little locker room. So he came and peeked his head in and was like, Hey, come with me and pulled me out of there. I was like, come sit with the, um, you know, come sit with the guys. And I was like, okay. So he had me sit at catering and I'm sitting next to Sammy Zane and he was like texting. And I was just like, I'm not going to say anything to him, but this is pretty amazing. Cause I love him. But, uh, but yeah, I never said anything to him, but I was right next to him. Adam, do you are you are you into wrestling? Uh, not really. I mean, I've definitely watched a fair amount of it. Um, I'm just not like fanatic about it. So yeah, both of us are not. We're not really super knowledgeable about wrestling. But my friend Dane, he sent me a few questions that I, that would uh, I could ask you about wrestling. So, what wrestler hooked you to the point of becoming a lifelong wrestling fan? That would be Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, in the eighties, yeah. he was always my favorite, you know, just so intense, you know, the music, the flying elbow drop and Miss Elizabeth, who was gorgeous, like, um, really cool robes and outfits. And, you know, he was just a large, larger than life character. And I didn't like Hulk Hogan. So anybody who was going up against him was my guy. <laughs> what didn't you like about Hulk Hogan? I just didn't like that Hulk Hogan got all of the shine, all the glory. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt like, man, like there's no room for anybody else. Like Hulk Hogan, I think he main evented every WrestleMania for like 10 years straight, you know, yeah. where it was like, it was just him, you know, and he never really, they never gave anybody else a moment to kind of shine with him. And, uh, and him and Macho Man had this really like 
real type of feud where they would say things about each other that were kind of true. And uh, and at that time when he did, it was like, oh, I agree with that. I agree with what Macho Man's saying. Like, you are a glory hog and this and that. So, uh, so yeah, it it made me not like Hogan much. What about Ultimate Warrior? Hmm. Ultimate Warrior was fun. You know, I love the the colors and the intensity. Um, looking back, he he wasn't very like technically sound. Like he wasn't a guy who could do a bunch of wrestling moves. He would just pick you up, drop you, and then jump on top of you, and then the match was over. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I loved his intensity. That like he would run to the ring and shake the ropes, and yeah, he was fun. What about George the Animal Steel? Oh man, I love George Eating the, Animal the turnbuckles. Steel. He would eat the turnbuckle. Oh man, he was he was such a sweetheart. Like he was, you know, he was wild, but he loved Miss Elizabeth and he was he was sweet when he needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Andre the Giant. Hmm. Yes, always love Andre the Giant. Oh Russell. And so he turned evil and he like rips Hulk Hogan's necklace off of his neck and it made like Hogan like cry. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Undertaker. Mm, Undertaker is great. So, so, uh, like talented and skilled. Like the guy was six foot 10, but could just like move like a little guy. So I always love people who could move, you know, big guys who could jump and make some really cool stuff happen. So, uh, yeah, I like Undertaker a lot. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, <laughs> he was great, man. Uh, Hacksaw was awesome. I, um, I met him at a convention. We wound up like with our tables right next to each other. And he was like such a amazing guy. Like he was so friendly, him and his wife. Uh, so that makes it even better when people can be really nice people. Heck yeah. Junkyard Dog. Oh yeah. I love Junkyard Dog. One of my favorites. Um, I just read a book on him, which is really great. It's called The, the King of New Orleans. And um, I didn't realize, you know, so many of those guys who came to WWF, mm-hmm. And just were kind of like mid Carters, you know, show openers were like legends in their towns, mm. you know. And so Vince McMahon would go and scoop up the greatest people in these different territories and then make them kind of like nobody's, you know, somewhere else. Um, and how like he was such a like legendary figure in New Orleans. And um, yeah, I love Jeff Dog. Nice. So what about like current wrestlers? Like when the dust settles on 2023, who do you think's had the best run of the year? Mm, actually, um, it's a bit of an underrated pick, but this guy named Will Ospreay, he's um, uh, a British wrestler who mostly wrestles in Japan, but um, he's probably the most technical, like high flying proficient wrestler around. And he's had some amazing matches, but a lot of them don't get on like TV you know, where he's not having millions of people watch him. But but the critics have, have acclaimed him as, like, the guy. And he's a free agent right now, so he may, may wind up going to WWE. Who knows? But Will Ospreay is, like, amazing. He does moves that look like they came out of a video game. Like, I don't even understand how he's able to do some of the stuff he does. All right, so, and I don't even understand what this question means. So this is from Dane. With the Survivor Series coming up in the next couple of weeks, who would you choose to be the perfect Survivor Series squad? Hmm. Well, if I had to pick a squad, because it's usually like a four-man team or five-man team, I think, 
and they take on another five-man team in like an elimination match. So if I was going to pick five, I would get Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Cody, and uh, and the New Day, Kofi and Xavier. That would be my unbeatable team. All right. So, so Dane also told me something about battle, called Battle Rumble that you're an event you created that uh, celebrates wrestling and hip hop culture. Uh, yes. Can you can you speak on that at all? Yeah, we just announced it last week. It's happening January in Tampa, the day before WWE's big Royal Rumble event, and uh, in Tampa. So, um, if anybody's already in town or coming in town for wrestling, they can have something cool to do the night before. So it's going to be a concert. There's going to be battle raps. There's going to be wrestlers there. There's going to be uh, Nintendo 64s and video game consoles so we can play wrestling games, um, live music, live DJs, giveaways, prizes. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have some incredible sponsors that have just come through with some amazing prizes. So uh, Direct Sound, it has great headphones, uh, Native Instruments, going to give us some, you know, some beat making materials. Um, lots of cool stuff is going to happen. So I'm really excited, uh, about this. This is, I do events around wrestling events kind of a lot, but this one is, uh, this is one like no other for me. So, uh, we're looking for, looking forward to a really, really amazing time and you can get tickets now at megaran.com. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Ska. To support the show, sign up for our Patreon. Intro and outro music by Slow Gherkin from the EP Lives. Additional music by Dan P. and the Bricks. Please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend. Follow at In Defense of Ska on social media. The book In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes is available from Clash Books. Order it online. Chris Reeves of SPI is our editor. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leading you by saying ska now more than ever. Oh, you know what we forgot? Forgot to get Mega Random freestyle. Damn. Damn. He could have freestyled the whole podcast, I bet. That would have been perfect behind the curtain content, but that we have even better stuff behind the curtain. I'm not even gonna say. <laughs> Okay, well, you know that Megaran didn't freestyle back there, but we did have him on behind the curtain mm-hmm. for only $5. Join our Patreon. You'll be supporting this podcast that you love and that we love making, and you'll get bonus content from Megaran and so many more. Also, just to be clear, you will be a Ska Defender, and I hate to break it to you, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you're not technically a Ska Defender. Hmm. This is true. So I just just put that in your ear. Just let that thought roll around in your brain for a few days. Mm-hmm. And then pull out your wallet. <laughs> put that $5 in your computer. Get out the credit card. Write the silly numbers on the front and the expiration date and the three silly numbers on the back. Add your zip code and then support this podcast and defend Ska. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.